La Nina reconsidered. This is way over our heads. It's Weather and Climate Podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. Kenny, how are you doing? I'm doing well, Jim. I am, you know, kind of anxiously looking at all the weather charts and just trying to, you know, see if we can find a way out of this kind of pre-drought condition. And plus, you know, it's it's early mid-March <laughs> in the middle of a pandemic at the end of kind of a confusing winter. I'm a little bit restless. I want to get outside. Well, I hear you on that, Kenny. And uh, looking at the garden, of course, nothing in the ground yet except our annuals that have uh, begun to show through the soil, the daffodils and the tulips, but it is indeed dry. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But first of all, Kenny, just to refresh everyone's memory, what is a La Nina? Yeah. So, you know, La Nina, which sounds, I think, to a lot of folks, it just sounds like El Nino, and they're actually sort of opposite conditions. So El Nino, slightly more famous. This is a warming of the Pacific Ocean uh, near the equator, especially close to, you know, close to and then extending west from uh, where that equatorial Pacific meets South America. So kind of off the South American, that sort of Peruvian Ecuadorian coast to the West. When you have a warming of the water, that's El Nino. And it tends to lead to, among other things, kind of a changed configuration of our flow so that the really cold air stays up North and the warm air sometimes overtakes our region during the winter. And we end up with kind of not always, but we tend to have kind of mild winters in El Nino. La Nina is the opposite, where the waters off the coast of Peru and Ecuador are actually colder than normal. That somewhat intensifies the circulation, and there's this whole cycle that's part of it called the Walker circulation. It intensifies it, and that kind of speeds up our, our flow patterns and, and leads us into often more volatile conditions and kind of a swooping jet stream so that, again, not always, but often in La Nina, up here in the upper Midwest, we end up a bit colder, a bit more wintry than, than you would expect in, say, El Nino or in kind of normal conditions. So La Nina tends to be, it's a, it's a you know, circulation feature associated with ocean temperatures that tends to make us wintry. Well, the last few days have been unseasonably warm here in Minnesota. We should point out we're recording this on Tuesday, March 10th. And Kenny, before we started recording, you had mentioned that uh, some people are talking about similarities to the setup we're seeing now with what happened in 2011. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah, sure. So so it's an interesting, so it gets back to the whole La Nina thing. You know, these La Ninas, I mean, on average, you, you could go in and out of a La Nina condition every five years or so. You know, maybe it depends on that they're not evenly paced and sometimes they kind of cluster together. And so they're, they're not really common. But the last time we had one that was about the same strength as this was indeed uh, 2010, 2011. So we've had a few since then, but they were a little bit weaker than the one that we're experiencing now. So what people look to is we were in a you know pretty pronounced La Nina in 2010 and 11, and we ended up having an extremely active spring severe weather season. We were you know not so busy in February and even March, but 
April and then May were really both for the record books. There were just huge outbreaks of tornadoes across the South, uh, Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, uh, Mississippi, Georgia. I mean, these places just got pounded during April of 2011. And then, of course, in May of 2011, we had the famous Joplin, Missouri tornado, which was one of the greatest killer tornadoes of all time in the U.S. Even the same outbreak even produced a, a deadly tornado up here in Minneapolis. That was on May 22nd of 2011. So I think people look at, well, that was a moderately strong La Nina, and now we're in that pattern again. And some folks would look at the, the maybe the conditions leading up to it and say, well, you know, we see a lot of similarities, uh, but those were those the two winters couldn't be much different from each other from our perspective, Jim. Um, the 2010 and 11 winter was a classic La Nina with heavy snow. That was one of our dome buster snowfalls where the, the Metrodome collapsed under the weight of the snow in December. We had a continuous snowpack from early December right into and through much of March. We were much colder than normal for most of that winter. Uh, one of the snowiest, it might've even been a record snowy December in a lot, in many parts of Minnesota. And we ended up with flooding, fairly substantial spring flooding uh, in 2011, because all of that, all of that snow had to come off the land during spring and it flooded out a lot of our rivers and streams in Minnesota we're not anywhere near that territory this year. In fact, with the exception of a two week, uh, I don't know what you'd call it, departure during February where we got really cold. Uh, aside from that, it's been, it's just been plain mild since uh, the beginning of November. I mean, we, November was warm. December was warm. January was warm. The second uh, the final third or so of February was warm, and now we've started March warm. So it's really been a sea of warmth this winter within an island of cold kind of thrown into the middle of it. Uh, I, I, I look at that and say, well, meteorologically, we're in kind of two different conditions. I, I don't see huge comparison between uh, what we saw in 2011 and what we see now, other than the fact that the the La Nina the ENSO index that we use to kind of measure the strength of these events was at about the same magnitude as it is now. Um, so I think it bears watching. Uh, someone had asked a question about it. So I went back and looked at all of our, all like how we fared in other La Nina events. And it's interesting because severe weather in the U.S. for, for many of the recent ones has been kind of muted during La Nina and we've seen some extremes of heat and some drought, but there are some instances where uh, we do we do see more severe weather than than normal. So I'd say it can go either way. Um, I, you know, I think one thing that stood out is a lot of for some reason that I can't explain. A lot of these La Nina years are associated with killer, you know, one killer tornado event in Minnesota. That might just be a coincidence, but. You know, it usually takes a, a stronger tornado to produce a fatality. And so that was the one thing that kind of stood out, but not necessarily, a, you know, really busy year with lots and lots of severe weather. Our record breaking year in 2010, for example, that was coming off an El Nino. Uh, 
And similarly, 1983, which kind of stands out as a major year for severe weather in Minnesota, um, that was also coming off of an El Nino. So I don't think there's a smoking gun. And I don't think people need to start battening down the hatches. But, you know, for for folks in emergency management, uh, I think it's something to kind of pay attention to. Uh, we, we certainly don't want to be surprised by a really active season, um, but I, I don't think it's guaranteed either. Well, Kenny, you mentioned back in the winter of 2010-2011 that the Metrodome collapsed, and I was just thinking about how we've kind of lost a gauge of the severity of winter with the demolition of the Metrodome, because I remember very early on in my news career covering a couple of Metrodome collapses back in the 1980s. And yeah, that was kind of how we measured the severity of a storm. Well, well, did the Metrodome collapse? You know, we called them dome busters. And now it's gone. We don't have that, Kenny. What could we use in its place? (laughs) Yeah, that's a a really good point. You know, there was for a while the winter misery index, and then that got turned into the snow and cold index, kind of put a a slightly more neutral spin on it. but, you know, the, the severity of winter is essentially a combination of snow and cold. So I would say that the DNR's wintertime snow and cold index is a really good metric. Of course, it's only based on the Twin Cities. Uh, you have a few more selections if you go to the accumulated, what is it, the Aussie, the accumulated winter weather severity index. That's from the, the Midwest Climate Center, and it kind of gives you sort of a historical sense of where, where this winter stands. But yeah, um, you know, without the uh, something as iconic and um, hideous as the Metrodome. Uh, <laughs> you weren't <laughs> a fan a, of, its, uh, of its beautiful architecture, Kenny? Yeah, <laughs> right. You know, with, without, but without the Metrodome there as a sort of barometer of a storm's intensity, you're right, we're probably, there must have been, I think, five times that the dome actually collapsed. Three of them were within three years of each other. It's like 81, 82, 83. And then, um, and then I think we had one more later, and then we had the big one in 2010. And um, yeah, it's a good question, Jim. I don't know if we have a better proxy measure than that um, currently, because there's, there's nothing as well-known, as iconic, and as susceptible. Well, maybe our listeners can offer us some uh, guidance as to what might be a replacement gauge of the severity of winter now that the Metrodome is only a memory to us. Uh, Kenny, it's been a couple of weeks, a little more than two weeks since you and I last spoke. Of course, we had that cold snap back in February, and then we've had massive, massive snow melting over the last uh, multiple days to the point now where, you know, you had mentioned, I think, the last time we spoke that the sun's intensity back then was about the same as it was in late October. And I think any of us who have spent any time outdoors can just feel the intensity of the sun on our skin. And how the snow has melted away as quickly as it has certainly bears witness to the power of uh, the sun right now. Yeah, and just the temperature's shooting up pretty high too. I mean, we've got we've had sort of filtered sun across much of Minnesota the last few days. It has not been bright and sunny, yet temperatures have been up around 60 degrees in the southern half of the state uh, and along the the western border, in some cases above 70 degrees. We've had temperatures into the 50s in the northeast Minnesota. I mean, that's really, really warm. We're in a warm air mass, and this is partially because the sunlight is strong and we're getting some southerly winds. And so, yeah, we have been melting snow. 
I think uh, we're about 10 days out now from the spring equinox. So that means that our sunlight is essentially about as strong as you'd expect at the very end of September or very early October right now. So, I mean, it, it, this, this sun can do some work, uh, certainly. And that's why days like today where you get a little bit of sunlight and southerly winds, they feel like, uh, you know, a preview of what lies ahead. It's, it's, it's very nice. But yeah, we've been melting snow. And this is, I guess, it's good in that we convert whatever moisture we had sitting on the land. Um, a lot of that goes back into the ground as the ground starts to thaw. So we need that. But as we mentioned earlier, too, it's also it's getting pretty dry. Now, there is some rain in the forecast now. How dry are we? Are there concerns already about the potential for drought conditions, or is it way too early to even speculate on that? Yeah, I I guess I'm confident saying that we are solidly in pre-drought conditions. There's not not a, a crippling drought anywhere in Minnesota right now. There's a few parts of the state, though, where it's actual, you know, maybe about a third of the state is in actual designated uh, moderate drought. That's kind of the lowest level of drought. And there are small corners of the state in far northwest and far southwest Minnesota that are actually designated as having severe drought. Now, I want to point out, those are just, those are kind of climatological uh, metrics that are used in the United States drought monitor. It does not mean that we have heard of any real impacts, but but some of the other measures kind of add up. We're seeing pretty, we've seen pretty low stream levels and lake levels have really fallen over the last year. Um, the Twin Cities, for example, has not had an above normal month of precipitation since June. I mean, we've had, we've had some pretty close to normal months and we've had below normal months, but we haven't really been above normal since June. And through much of the state, it's you go back to last summer and maybe there were a couple months but it's been predominantly dry. And in parts of Southwestern and Western Minnesota, you can actually take that back to January of 2020. Um, so it's, it's, again, it's not a huge deficit. And you have to remember we had, we had uh, a lot of precipitation in 2019 that kind of buffered us against uh, advancing drought conditions. It bought us a lot of time. But now we're getting to the point Spring is on the way. That sunlight that you just talked about is intensifying, and it's probably still two months or so before most of the state is really greening up. And so in the next two months, as the sunlight intensifies, you're not going to get any additional moisture coming into the atmosphere from plants. And that means that if you have strong sunlight and there's no weather system overhead, then you're just going to get warm and dry and you're going to take more moisture out of the ground and remove more moisture from the surface water. So this is where those deficits can really start, can really start escalating. So we kind of need, you know, a good parade of wet weather systems. You know, we, you mentioned we have one coming. And so, yeah, I think on Wednesday, parts of Minnesota probably see three quarters of an inch, maybe even an inch of precipitation. That's not nearly enough to get us out of this situation, but it will buy us some time. But then what we need, Jim, is we need another one within a week or so. We're kind of at that point now, and you'll notice this with your garden, um, where we probably need half an inch of precipitation per week for the next few weeks. And then after that, we need three quarters of an inch 
during April. And as we get into, once we get into May, you need about an inch of precipitation a week just to prevent yourself from slipping and falling behind. So uh, it's kind of a tall order. It's going to take us a lot to get out of this. And then we need at least a a steady diet of of precipitation to kind of keep us from slipping into really dry conditions. So no, no big alarm bells yet, but we're getting close. If we can't at least get normal precipitation for the next 60 days, then I think by May, Jim, you and I will be talking about drought. You know, that'll become our main topic of conversation. Well, Kenny, I know you are no big fan of uh, long-range forecasts, but do we (laughs) see any hope ahead for a more active pattern that would bring us potentially more precipitation? Mm. That's a really good question. I I mean, I guess the short answer is, do I see it with confidence? No. Um, But, you know, the the three-month outlooks have at least shown from the Climate Prediction Center that, you know, we wouldn't be too warm, that the sort of equal chances of the temperatures being normal or above, you know, equal chances of above normal or equal chances below normal. And, you know, maybe normal to slightly favoring wet conditions um, in Minnesota. So that would be the period that gets us really through through May. But there's no, no, so there, there's no... Sp- indication from the current pattern that um, that we're about to get really wet or that we're about to get really dry. I think that's always one of the frustrations is that there's, especially as the seasons change, you kind of get stuck in between and, and we're really in a critical period now. Um, yeah, there have been some signs that uh, on some of the models that the next couple of weeks could get really active. But the caution I have with that, Jim, is that we we see that all the time. And especially in dry conditions, it's like a mirage, you know, the ship appears on the horizon and then it vanishes. And that's kind of what's been happening with these weather systems on the models is they look, they look really good six to 10 days away. And then as they get closer in time, they either end up south or they, uh, or they don't exist at all. And, and what we've been losing out to over the past several months has been systems that that go through the Ohio Valley and into the northeastern United States, including parts of eastern Iowa and parts of southeastern Wisconsin. Those areas are actually, they're doing fine for precipitation, but they just haven't been sharing much with Minnesota. And so we're kind of hoping that the systems that we see emerging on the horizon don't just get shunted off to our south and east like so many before them have, but actually come up this way and deliver us some meaningful precipitation. Well, today is March 9th. It is a Tuesday, and uh, we may be flirting with some high temperature records today, correct? Obviously, we can't address that since we're recording before the high temperature of the day, but uh, I think the high in the Twin Cities is achievable. It's not a super high bar from what I understand. And I noticed that there is cloud cover, so maybe that'll hold temperatures down a bit. But do you think we're going to see any records fall today? Yeah, we we really should. I mean, it's you're, you're right. So we are recording. It's close to noon on Tuesday. Uh, the temperatures in the Twin Cities have been in the mid and upper 50s so far. And the high temperatures actually forecast to be in the upper 60s. We kind of have a long way to go. You're right. The clouds have been 
clouds have been slowing us down. The high temperature record for today in the Twin Cities is 61. And in other stations throughout Minnesota, for whatever reason, March 9th is a relatively attainable value to, to break. So I do think a lot of records were, will fall. It's not because the, the warmth is extraordinary. It's because uh, March 9th has been kind of low-hanging fruit climatologically in the records department for a while. Um, you know, for example, uh, if 61 is a record high today, but you could go back a couple days and the record highs are in the 70s. So, so having temperatures in the low 60s is, is really easy to do in, in the Twin Cities in early March. It just happens that it hasn't happened very much. In, uh, we haven't seen that very much on March 9th for some reason. So I do think some records will fall. Remains to be seen how much those clouds clear out. And then, you know, what's interesting, Jim, is, you know, we're going to have this cold front come through and this weather system that I was mentioning earlier that's going to give, you know, three quarters of an inch of precipitation. It's actually going to produce some pretty good snow in parts of northern Minnesota. But uh, once that system passes, it's not like the, you know, the gates of the Arctic have opened up and we're going to you know, fall well below freezing throughout the state or anything like that, where temperatures will probably be back in the 40s and maybe even 50s, um, you know, by the time we get to the end of this week. So I, it's not much of a, it's not much of a cold front at all. And just to, to keep us all straight, it's so warm now with temperatures in the 50s and 60s across the state that you could actually lose 10 or 15 degrees and still be above normal. So when I say that highs are going to be in the 40s or 50s at the end of the week, that's still significantly warmer than the average temperature this time of year, which in the Twin Cities is still in the mid to upper 30s for a high and uh, around 20, low 20s for a low. So, yeah, we're, we're pretty warm. I hope you get out and enjoy it. Well, cross your fingers that we'll get some much-needed precipitation uh, Tuesday night and Wednesday. And uh, yeah, absolutely, get out and enjoy. And uh, even after the cold front rolls through, it won't seem all that terribly cold for this time of the year. So lots of reasons to get outside. Kenny, great as always talking with you, and uh, we'll check in with you next week. Great. Very good. Thanks, Jim. Nice talking to you, too. This is Way Over Our Heads. It's a weather and climate podcast. I'm Jim Dubois. Kenny Blumenfeld's a climatologist. We'll catch you next time.